Scripture reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Law and love combining till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible when my heart is broken, when sin and grief have filled my soul with fear. Give me the precious words by Jesus spoken, hold a face lamp to show my Savior near. Give me the Bible, holy message shining, thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining, till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible, lamp of life immortal, hold up that splendor by the open grave. Show me the light from heaven's shining portal. Show me the glory gilding Jordan's wave. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, 
flow and love combining till night shall vanish in eternal day. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We are grateful for your presence. We're glad to have Brother Elon Dawkins back with us today. I know that Elon and Virginia have been unable to attend for several weeks now, but we're glad that you're able to be here and we've missed you. And we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. We're very grateful for the privilege and the many blessings that we have as God's people, the opportunity to worship Him in a free country. And for that privilege, we thank God. We're going to be looking today at 1 Peter chapter 1, specifically verses 1 through 4. The passage that Matt read a moment ago. <clears throat> In our lesson today, I want, us, I want us to think about the theme, hope for the future. The Bible tells us that as God's people, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Titus chapter 1 at verse 2. There are a lot of blessings associated with being a child of God. There are many blessings that are beneficial to us as we sojourn here on planet earth. But probably one of the greatest blessings that you and I enjoy is knowing that there, there lies before us the hope of heaven. And so in our study today, I call your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The first thing that I want you to consider with me is the fact that believers are the ones who have, who have hope. Believers are the redeemed. That is, they are people who are classified as saved. You and I, as a result of our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, enjoy some very rich blessings. But note, if you would, what Peter says beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we talk about believers who have hope, we are emphasizing the redeemed, the saved. And Peter identifies for us a couple of things associated with with our redemption. First of all, he said that we have been sanctified. The word sanctified simply means to be set apart. And we have been set apart from the world unto God. This occurred when we obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he spoke to people that were members of the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and he said, called to be saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2. 
He said that this sanctification occurred when they were baptized into Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 11, he said, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Peter was writing to individuals classified as Gentiles when he penned this book. And they were people that had been delivered out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9, Peter said, You are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom He has called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. When you and I obeyed the gospel, we were set apart from the world unto God for His service, for His purpose. But then also Peter says, as a result of our obedience, we enjoyed the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the real blessings of becoming a child of God is the fact that the blood of Christ washes away all of our sins. Peter, just a little bit later in this same chapter, talks about how we have been redeemed, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, according to John in the book of Revelation. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Jesus, in His death, shed His blood, according to John 19, verse 34. When we are baptized into Christ, it is at that point that we contact the blood of Christ. The blood is then applied to our heart. And so in Romans chapter 6 at verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. That's where we contact the blood of Christ. And so when we talk about this hope for the future, the first thing we need to understand is that believers, those of us that belong to the body of Christ, we are the ones that have this hope that is before us. But then there is a second thing that we need to, I think, focus our minds on for a moment. This has to do with the basis of our hope. What is the basis of the hope that is before us? Well, Peter says it is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what ultimately offers us hope for the future. And so look now at verse 3. In verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are a couple of things that maybe we would do well to consider concerning the resurrection of Christ. First of all, the resurrection underscores the power of deity. 
Think for a moment about Jesus during his earthly ministry. In John chapter 2, Jesus said to the Jews of his day, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up in verse 19. Now they thought he was talking about that physical structure, the temple. But Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. Prophetically speaking, he was pointing to that point in time in the future when he would be put to death on Calvary and three days later rise from the dead. Also in connection to this prophecy and others, we think about the words of Luke in Luke chapter 24. Jesus had been put to death on the cross. He had been raised from the dead. And in verse 44, before he ascends to heaven and gives the great commission, the Bible tells us that he said to the apostles, these are the words that have been penned about me. In other words, these are the words which have been recorded about me in the Law of Moses and in the Prophets and in the Psalms. Well, what about those words that had been penned about him? The Bible tells us in about verse 47 that he said, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary that Christ, that the Christ should die and rise again the third day. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day, which evidenced the great power of deity. But also, it was a demonstration of the proof of his deity. Think about what Paul said to the saints in Rome, in Romans chapter 1 at verse 4. He said that Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead ultimately validated Jesus Christ as the Son of God. When we talk about the scheme of redemption, it encompassed not just his death on Calvary, but his resurrection. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, that Christ was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. What about the significance of the resurrection? How important is the resurrection to us today? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul in that great chapter underscores the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He highlights the eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Paul informs his readers that he too was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. But in that chapter he, he says unequivocally that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain. And ultimately, he said, we are still in our sins. In other words, if the resurrection has not occurred, then you and I, we have no hope. We are of all men most pitiable or miserable, as he says in about verse 19 of chapter 15. So Jesus Christ was raised from the dead... And the Bible 
unequivocally presents that to us. Think for a moment about Christianity. We talk about the Christian religion and its significance to us. But ultimately, Christianity stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that when you begin to read in the book of Acts about the life of the early church, the apostles were men who were willing to lay down their physical lives for Jesus Christ. Had the resurrection been a hoax, do you think these men would have willingly given themselves as a martyr for the cause of Christ? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, on the first on the first Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ, the Apostle Peter preached the first gospel sermon. And during the delivery of that sermon, he pointed out that they had taken Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and by lawless hands had crucified and slain Him. He went on to say, but God raised Him up. A little bit later in that same chapter, in about verse 32, he speaks of the resurrection of Christ, and he said, we are witnesses. They witnessed this event. They witnessed the resurrected Christ. And so, what is the basis of our hope for the future? It's the resurrection of Christ. But now thirdly, what about the bounty of our hope? Peter talks about this reserved place that will ultimately be inherited by the people of God. A couple of things I want you to consider as we think about the bounty of our hope. First of all, let's go back to verse 1 and note this term that Peter uses to describe God's people. He says, to the pilgrims, some translations say strangers or sojourners. Those of us who live here on planet earth, we are described as a stranger, as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. The word carries with it the idea of an exile. Sometimes we talk about in our day and time immigrants or aliens. What do we mean when we talk about an immigrant, somebody who comes to our country? We're saying that they are not a native of this country, but they're an alien. Well, that's the figure that Peter uses to describe us today. He said we are a pilgrim. Now, he identifies this geographical region that these people were living in, which was simply Asia Minor. That region north of Judea, and the city of Jerusalem. But nonetheless, he classifies these people as pilgrims. Over in chapter 2 at verse 11 of this same book, he'll say, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and sojourners or pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. You and I, we are pilgrims. In Hebrews chapter 11 the Hebrew writer identifies those great men and women of faith who lived here upon this earth, who looked for a city which had foundations. The Bible says, whose builder and maker is God. 
But those patriarchs of the past, they viewed themselves as strangers, as sojourners, as pilgrims. And the idea is that we may pitch a tent here upon this earth for a period of time, but ultimately we're just passing through this, this world. We sing the song, this world is not my home. It's not. Now there are a lot of people that have literally hooked their wagons to the world. Paul talks about those who mind earthly things. That's where their citizenship is. That's where their commonwealth is. But Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 3 at verse 20. What you and I have to do is view ourselves as a pilgrim, as an exile, if you please. This world is not our home. There are a lot of people that have, they have anchored themselves to the things of this world. And that's all they see, the here and now. Paul talks about how we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. He said the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. You and I, as the people of God, yes, we live here on planet Earth. Yes, we have homes and cars and clothes and all of the material comforts of this life. But these are simply things to use to get us to the next country, that heavenly country. And so we are but pilgrims. Think for a moment about our pilgrimage. If earth, if, if this earth is all there is, then what you need to do is, is do like Solomon said, eat, drink, and be merry. But we know that's not the case. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, thieves break through and steal, but what? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If the world is all we have, then you better drive a stake down. You better anchor yourself to this life. But that's not the case. We're just passing through. We may live to be 70, 80, 90 years of age, but ultimately this body's going to wear out, run down, and succumb to death. And the Spirit, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, returns to God. So our pilgrimage. But then also think secondly of the promised place. Look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter is saying that as a child of God, you and I, we have an inheritance it may be the case that you today have been the recipient of an inheritance in the past. And sometimes we, we, think about, we think about our earthly future and so we go to an attorney, we drop a will and we set aside certain portions of our estate for our children and grandchildren. And at our 
at our death or decease, our inheritance is distributed. As a child of God, based on the fact that we've obeyed the gospel, that we're living faithfully for Him, Peter said, we have an inheritance. What about this inheritance? Well, here's what he said. Number one, it is incorruptible. It is free from decay, deterioration. Look around, look around in our world. Cities that may have once flourished are what? Some of those cities are now in utter disrepair. I think about neighborhoods that at one time had been flourishing. A lot of people lived there and now the homes are run down. The yards are beyond repair in some instances. You see, the world is subjected to time. And this world, as you and I know it, is wearing out. It's running down. It's, it's filled with decay. But that's not the case when it comes to heaven. It is a place that is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It's free from soil. It's pure. Can you imagine living in a place that is free from disease and death? Can you comprehend living in, in, in a place, in a city, that no longer has crime or violence or murder, immorality, all of those things, they're gone. John talks about in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, that in that beautiful city, nothing that defiles will be there or makes an abomination or makes a lie. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we're talking about a completely different place than what we are familiar with here upon planet Earth. He said it's incorruptible, it is undefiled, and then he says it does not fade away. In just a month or so, we'll see the beauty of springtime. The flowers and the trees will be in full bloom. But we know ultimately that the flowers that bloom and the trees that bloom will ultimately give way to fall and then winter. In other words, they do not perpetually bloom. There may be some flowers that perpetually bloom, but most are subjected to the, to the seasons of the year. But Peter here is saying that this land that you and I will one day know as heaven, it's never going to fade away. It will be perpetually new, hard to imagine. We sing the song from time to time, the land that is fairer than day. I can see now why we sing that song. It's fairer than day. It's beyond our wildest dreams. It's difficult for us to literally wrap our minds around this place called heaven. But Peter is saying, it's reserved for you. 
If you and I have obeyed the gospel and we're living faithfully for the Christ, the assurance given unto us is the Stephanos, the victor's crown, in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, the hope of heaven. There are a lot of things that you and I may hope for for the future. Some may come to pass, some may not. But I can assure you that there is something that you and I want to make sure that we do not miss. And that's that place called heaven. It is a real place for real people who have prepared themselves, as John talks about in the book of Revelation. What about you today? When you evaluate your spiritual life, have you made yourself ready? John talks about the bride has made herself ready. Are you ready? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what would you need to do to become a child of God? The Bible says that you need to purify your soul through obedience to the truth. 1 Peter 1 verse 22. You need to be born again, is what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Born of the water and of the Spirit, John 3, verse 5. That is, you need to believe that He is the Son of God. John chapter 8, verse 24. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. When you do that, you're on the road to heaven. And then the exhortation, just be faithful till death. The promise is the crown of life, James 1, verse 12. If you're unfaithful, could we encourage you to come home? Could we encourage you to come back to the Lord who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Would you come as we stand and sing?